Hello everyone, welcome back to Normalize This Shit. I just wanted to take a moment to talk about my upcoming guest, Lieutenant Commander Dr. Ryan Reed. This was a special episode for me. Not only are Ryan and I very good friends, uh, but the topic itself, uh, normalizing uh, men's emotional mental health, normalizing men talking about things, especially coming from someone in his position who is a SEER certified psychologist, and, and, and for those that don't know uh, what SEER is, it's survival, evasion, resistance, and escape uh, for like Navy SEALs and things like that. So he, he does this. He sees men in the United States Navy, uh, patients, and where stereotypically, let's be honest, men, we don't talk about things, right? That, that's the thing. Um, but we're going to... I think we spend a good 60 minutes, honestly, talking about this. Uh, and, and it's really special for me uh, because the episode itself was, it's like a meta thing. You know, we're talking about men's emotional and mental health. And at the same time, I'm having trouble in the episode talking about my own emotional and mental health. And I think what is so special is, and Dr. Reed ended it with this of, you know, I had made a comment in the episode that men don't check in with each other and they don't tell each other they love each other. And I was having trouble saying it. Um, and, and Ryan, of course, at the end, he, he told me he loved me first. And I think that that's, that's how men's friendship should be. Um, that's how it should be. So th- this episode is very special to me. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you learned something. Uh, Happy listening and take care. to the Normalize This Shit podcast. Today I'm with Lieutenant Commander Select Dr. Ryan Reed in the United States Navy, Fleet Marine Force qualified, and is SERE certified psychologist. 
He graduated from the University of South Dakota in 2016 after completing his internship with a naval career taking him all over the globe in a variety of capacities from disaster response, clinical work, humanitarian efforts, and instructor duty. His research areas include applications of telehealth, attentional tuning effects of PTSD, and the evolutionary psychology connection between blood glucose levels and decision-making. Ryan, we're going to be talking about normalized men just effing talking, right? Men's mental health, the staggering problems in men's mental health and normalizing them. Welcome aboard. Thank you for coming on. How are you? I am doing well. It is a beautiful, sunny, 75-degree day, so... I'm happy. Oh, I'm jealous. It's 75 there. Uh, the it is important for me to note that the oh, views, yes, yes, yeah. the views expressed by myself in this podcast uh, are the views of myself only and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Navy, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Because <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get fucking real. Uh, and yeah, yeah. That is, you know, not an official Navy, DOD, government view. This is just me, based largely on my experiences within that realm. But yeah, me saying you, you, you are here on an unofficial capacity to normalize men just fucking talking. That's what you're here to do. Absolutely, yes. Okay, so I ask everybody this question: Why did you pick this? Why is this so important for society? And I'm. You can talk as long as you want to talk. I won't even have to stop you if you just if you just want to go. <laughs> oh man, this is a this is a very for me this is yeah. a very important topic. So one, obviously, the military is mostly male, right? So a lot of my experience in the past seven years of active duty has been dealing with mostly men. While I was in my second to last duty station overseas. One of my pet projects was working on a community engagement, basically a anti-loneliness campaign, because that was a significant problem in the people coming into my office and in the people that were just, you know, I knew in the command that would kind of sidebar me and just talk to me. That was based a lot out of a bunch of research from the Brits. So UK is doing a phenomenal job of identifying that uh, men suck at this. And that loneliness is a very real thing. You know, this is 2018, 2019. Yeah. 2020 rolls around and fuck everybody. Uh, you're yeah, all now. Yeah. yeah, you are all now lonely. You are stuck, you know, unless you're an essential worker or whatever. But even then, you're still pretty fucking lonely because you don't get to, like, interact in the same way. Okay, can I ask clarification on that? One did did men actually say that they were feeling lonely or how did they, how did it express and how did you define loneliness there? Like, what was it? Yeah, go ahead. So most of it, I'm going to go ahead and make a very broad global statement that probably yeah. is a bit too broad, but men are fucking idiots when it comes to emotion. Like more often than not, we'll make it a little less broad. Right. Well, I mean, there's a reason that 70% of our field are women, right? I mean, there's there's a reason for that. Yeah, stereotypes right? tend to exist for a reason. They tend to just be then blown up beyond, as I just did. Uh, but it was a lot of, you know, I would be seeing these people who, they're feeling depressed. They're, you know, 
missing home. It's, it's a big change, especially if you're a brand new person, fresh into this career, and then you they happen to pump you out overseas. It's hard in that when you're in school, it's super easy or relatively easy to make friends, right? I'm in the same class as you. We're on the same sports team, whatever. You start the real world, and all of a sudden, it's kind of that like, yeah, how do I make friends? And then mm-hmm. you throw me overseas where I don't speak the language. How the fuck am I supposed to like make friends? I work with some people, but we were a relatively small command. So each little department was, you know, there were some departments that were literally three people. And so if I'm working with just these same three people, one of whom is an officer who's over me, so I can't actually be friends with that person. You know, how the hell am I supposed to make friends? Then we get into the problem of, well, I, I then spend a lot more time in my room. I play video games. I watch Netflix. You know, nothing wrong with Netflix and video games because shit, we both do that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, but yeah, yeah. when, come, you know, come on now. <laughs> any good thing overused, right? Mm-hmm. And then it, you know, it just became just this loneliness trend that I was seeing. So then I, I talked to my commanding officer. I see if, you know, she's willing to let me start to put together some broader programs, take some time away clinically so that I can do this. And I show her some of the research coming out of the UK and she's like, yeah, this makes sense. This is good. And I mean, it's just, it, that was the basis for me of, okay, men suck at this a little more, right? Like men's mental health. You look at societally, right? Like we just, we now leaps and bounds ahead of where we were, but you know, some of the most common phrases that I heard growing up were, walk it off, rub some dirt on it. Uh, yeah. And, you know, mockingly, jokingly, but like, there's no crying in baseball, you know? Yeah. And it just became this emotional fragility that I would see where either I overexpress, which tends to be just anger, right? I'm just, I'm pissed at everyone and everything. And I have no idea why, but fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Maybe you're cool, but fuck you. Uh, yeah. Or I suppress the shit out of it. And, you know, I would tell all of the people I saw, even people that I was just friends with, like, every time you're suppressing that thing, you are burying an emotional landmine. And I don't know about oh, you. I love that metaphor. I love that metaphor. I'm going to use that in therapy now. That's hey, an emotional landmine. Use it with your veterans, especially, right? Because it makes sense. Anyone who's been overseas, no, like, you have your your field, right? That is your field, your mental well-being, everything. And if you're just bearing landmine after landmine after landmine after landmine, eventually, no matter where you step in the field, you're going to fucking blow up, right? And that's what we tend to see, right? Further down the line, you look at PTSD and all that shit. Like, yeah. And trying to find something that isn't those two extremes, right? Overexpression or just flat-out suppression, right? Like, how can I feel an emotion and be okay with that and not call myself, you know, a bunch of the stuff that I've heard, uh, you know, that the the least offensive would be that, you know, Oh, I'm a little bitch for feeling this way, Mm -hmm. but how can I engage that emotion? Feel the feeling weird. It's like, it's in the word feel ing. Yeah. And then from there, how do I, get help with it? How do I actually express it? Well, yeah. And sometimes it's like, they don't even, 
especially with men, they don't even know what emotion they're feeling. Like you have to give them instruction on, and like, you know, like the, when you're kids and you're looking at like a sad face, a happy face, a disgust face, sometimes they can't even tell, like, like the only acceptable emotions is anger and sex. Like I can express things through sex and I can express things through angle, anger, but anything else outside of that is like, I, you're having even a hard time identifying it. Right. And then, and then getting them to identify it and then feel it. That's a big task. That's a very big task. <laughs> I am not even kidding. Like I'm in a non-clinical role now, so I don't, all my stuff is still in boxes, but I had two sheets of paper and one of them was the little basic feelings wheel of yeah. happy, sad, worried, and mad. And then I would get them to just like, all right, since you are so terrible at this and it's okay, you know, again, it's okay that you're here, you're here in therapy, we're working on it just acknowledge that you suck at this and then let's move on. And it's like, let's just, let's just point. Which, which color are you today? Like, Oh, you're, you're relatively happy. Cool. You're yellow. Like, yay. yeah. And then I would pull out the actual feelings wheel that has like the core six. Then it extends and each of those becomes like four. And then each of those right. becomes two. And I'm like, this is where I want you to be at the end. 99% of, the, 99 of the time I would get the fuck you, you know, like, there's no way that, no, doc, you're kidding. Like, there's no way now. I'm not going to do that shit. I'm like, no, you're going to like, that, that's why we're here. Yeah. And it's, it shocked me. And to caveat everything we're talking about today, I do think that we're doing a better job now than when maybe we were raised, right? Like you have a, a four-year-old son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a four-year-old son. I don't know. There's a thousand books on emotions in children. My, my son now, loves yeah. the, the little spot books. And the spot books identify a color for each of the emotions. And they talk about the scribble spot where you're maybe feeling multiple. And it's great. And if I was still in a clinical role right now, I would be bringing those spot books into therapy in order to show Because I'm like, look, if you're emotionally crippled and you have the emotional capacity of a four-year-old well then fuck it man let's let's read the four-year-old book on this and let's well, start it, there and here's here's my analytic therapy like hat going on of like you being in the room with him you become that older brother you become that the commander but the father figure that is re-instructing them on emotions like you're, you're teaching them to develop this thing that has never been developed before and you're doing it in a way that it's the only way they can hear it, which is, look, you suck at this. Like, let's, you know, let's just acknowledge, like, you suck at shooting. We got to improve your shooting, you know, or we, you suck at running, right? We got to improve running, but it's not in a, it's, it's framed in a way of like, not harsh, but just real, right? Like, and men respond to real, like they respond to productivity. Oh, I'm not doing this thing and it's, it can be useful for me. And, it, and if it can be useful for me and I can improve on it, then, then I'll do it. But if you, you go to them, like you need to be present with your body and feel things and they're going to be like, what, especially military, right? I mean, I'm generalizing, generalizing stereotype, but especially military, like, you're just going to get this, like, what are you talking about? Like, I gotta, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, dude, get the hell out of here. And it's, I mean, everything that just came out of your mouth, granted, I am 
I am a, I'm a behaviorist more than anything, but everything that just came out of my mouth is absolutely yes. Right. Like that's how I view it is we're going to, we're going to put the training wheels on, right. We're going to, we're going to crawl yeah. then we're going to walk and we're going to run and then I'm going to let go. And yeah. And you're going to do it yourself. Fly little bird. Here you go. Like show me those emotions in the real world. But it, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it blew my mind how many people just didn't get in touch with that. Right. And you talk about the, like, how do I, how do I phrase this? Right. I told people all the time, like I am, I'm going to give it to you straight. Right. And if you, if you're evading questions, I'm going to call you out on that shit. Right. We went through the same clinical program. Uh, yes. Your, your oral board defense. Oh man. I don't, got Don't give me drama about this. Blood pressure immediately rises. Yeah. Oh yeah. I had, I think there was two critiques or, you know, kind of work on this comments at the end of mine. And one of mine came from Barb who <laughs> love her. I mean, she was that program, right? She based, she built that and made it what it is and made it so great. And she gave me the, you know, you spoke well on this clinical case and you, you know, you, you very clearly understood all these differentiating criteria and things, but you don't sound like a psychologist. Mm. And I remember at the time it was that like, Oh shit, I got to work on, you know, like professional and I got to be a little bit more eloquent. I gotta... And then I got to the fleet. And the more that I practiced, the more it was, no, that just doesn't work for me. Like my style of therapy, my style yeah. of engaging is I'm going to just meet you where I'm at. And yeah, I am not, I am a psychologist, but I'm not a fucking doctor. Like I am not as much as I love the mental image. I am not the tweed jacket with the leather elbow patches and the goatee. I got some of those. Oh, I, I got some of those. You're rocking the facial hair. And it's, and it, I got you a know, lot of sweaters. <laughs> I wish I could wear a sweater to work, but people respond when you meet them where they're at, right? It's, I'm not going to yeah. talk to you as this authority figure, especially in the military. I'm already the authority figure. I'm an officer. Yeah. Majority of my patients are technically ranking below me. So I need to just meet them where they're at. And if that is telling them that they're emotionally crippled, fair. If that's what gets it through to them and talk about mindfulness you know being in in tune with your present moment awareness i point everybody to athletes to you know whatever like there's this guy on the san francisco giants jock peterson holy crap that guy says what he thinks and has had some very entertaining interviews does not hold back and it, it probably has been fined i assume at this point multiple times for saying <laughs> some shit that he shouldn't have said on live tv but he is very open about engaging in mindfulness before games, right? Using performance and sports psychology to the point where like they've even shown him uh, doing the, what I call the diehard technique of you take your shoes off, you take your socks off and you go walk in the grass and you scrunch your toes in the grass. Right. And it's yeah. literally grounding. I mean, I am yes. grounding myself into the outfield like that's that's what i'm doing but that's part of his very like warm-up routine every game 
And I'm like, if this dude who's just freaking knocking dingers, hitting home runs, who says the same dumb shit that you're saying, you know, like has the same like I'm 22 or whatever and I don't give a fuck kind of mentality. If he's doing this, why aren't we? Yeah. It's like you have to you have to find ways in which you have to slip this information past them. Like they got like a very uh, formidable wall in which you gotta you gotta find ways to get under it or get over it and, and using sports players or using people that they admire right that we we kind of look up to as the archetypal men right that are mas- masculinity and going into you know because I'm looking at our notes going into like what is a mask the chiseled jaw right that you know what do you envision as the masculine man but um, you have a very hard job doing that. Uh, and it's, I mean, well, I guess you're better at it now, you know, oh, yeah. cause you gotten used to it. Yeah. That's evolved. But I mean, I'm thinking of my, my stepdaughter, my nine year old, like I have now taken, uh, to sneaking things into the food. And then at the end of the meal, right. I made, uh, I made fried rice the other night and I put fish sauce in it. Oh, and normally, you know, she's, Oh no, that's gross. That's yucky. Right. We're at the, the, Korean grocery store buying it. She's like, oh, that's that's so gross. Ew. I ever smell it. Ew, it's so gross. I put it in the food. It obviously adds this great depth of flavor to it. And then at the end of the meal, I say, you know, guess what was in here? And she she doesn't know. And I'm like, fish sauce. And I immediately get the, you know, eyes wide, shrinking in the like, <gasps> no. I'm like, but you just told me literally 30 seconds ago that this you was enjoyed it. so good and that you went back and got seconds. And it's that same thing. I mean, I had one patient who refused to do trauma therapy, just absolutely flat out refused. And working with this person for weeks on weeks on weeks on weeks, just session after session. And at one point they say, you know, hey, like, what the fuck are we doing here, doc? You know, like, I told you I'm not going to do that therapy, but you keep having me come back. And, you know, it was like, all right, what did, what have we talked about? And then they list off, you know, safety and they list off all these different factors, you know, that are all safety, power control, intimacy, trust, self-esteem, all the shit. Like we worked on all those things. I'm like, cool. And how does that, you know, how is that impact? It's like, Oh, you son of a bitch. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> you came in here and I kept asking, are you, do you want to come back? Do you want to come back? Do you want to come back? Like, we're doing the therapy. We're just, we're having to do it in a way that circumvents this massive wall. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, I have a, an anti-missile system and sure it detects all these things. And if it's an obvious fucking missile, it's just going to shoot that shit down. But if I sneak around, cool, maybe mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get one in there. And that's where we have to be. It's not when it's sad. We have to be there. Yeah. Right? It's sad that we have to be that men's mental health. Is it a place that, uh, like what you brought up with the, these men are lonely, you know, they got shipped out there on base and, and they're lonely and they don't know what to do. Um, but they don't know how to say that they're lonely or to process it. Uh, and they, and then on top of that is it's almost like it's not permissible. You're not allowed to, to say these things and you're not allowed to have anyone in your life that's going to prompt you like, you know, like a psychologist, like Dr. Reed saying, Hey, like, 
let's let's talk about safety. I mean, if you say that to someone, they're gonna be like, "What are you talking about?" Right? Versus like you know, in private practice, you know, I there's never a question of oh, like their eyes light up when I say, "Oh, like this is about first establishing safety. Where do you feel safe? Where do you not feel safe?" And they're like, "Oh." that makes sense. Like, Oh, and then you get kind of this look of like, Oh, okay. 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 You have a, you have a, uh, your problem initially is different, which is you got to get the buy-in. You got to get people. And if you don't get them bought in, you got to somehow get them to see the usefulness of it. Right? Like what's the usefulness of seeing differentiating between sad and depressed and a little down you know, like that, that's six, mm-hmm. you know, what's the difference between being frustrated and irritated? And like, what's the point of that? Right. Like, why am I doing that? And I sometimes have that, but I'm not dealing with men every day, all day. Right. Are all your, are all your patients men? Not all. And again, right now, non-clinical. So I have no patients. Oh, no, yeah, you're teaching right yeah, now. Yeah. Great. But, uh, yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I'm just mess. I would say, you know, Depends on the command because the overseas command I was also seeing dependence, so there's a lot more female uh, dependence. But there was okay. no network to pump them out to, so then I ended up seeing them. But by and large, yeah, probably majority male. Um, and it, you know, the thing you're talking about of like they don't know how to how to feel the feeling, right? You look at the statistics on it. You look at what I'm sure I've seen, what you've seen, and it's like. Cool. So I engage in negative habits and just heavily rely on one or two of the, you know, drug and alcohol, video games again, which great. I play them, but moderation, you know, and then when I, you know, porn. Yeah. Like the amount that that has infiltrated society, and there's a bunch more research coming out now, but just the amount that that has honestly fucked people up especially these young kids who are lonely, they're isolating, they're spending a bunch of time online. I mean, I don't have TikTok. Occasionally, my little sister sends me some shit on TikTok. Sometimes some of my juniors in my office would show me something. I don't know what the fuck TikTok really is. Honestly, it seems like Instagram, but like on steroids. But the amount of shit that was just, soft core porn if not even beyond right and it just you know you, they if and if they clicked on one then all of a sudden that little algorithm is like oh we're gonna send you like five more and it just spins into the cycle where all of a sudden now they are essentially rewiring their brain to mm-hmm. have that as the dopamine right to have that as this like little happy thing and then when it comes time to actually date then they're all fucked up from that. Well, like, yeah. Stereotypes are. and expectations. Yeah. And just ruining the simple pleasure and joy of being with a person and connecting to that person. Which leads to more loneliness, right? Which leads to more pornography, which leads to, you know. And just that cycle continues. So, I mean, if, you know, if men are listening to this, you know, of stating why this is so important, of why we should start talking. I mean, Ryan, you made some notes here. Three to 3.5 times the suicide rate in men. 
four to one ratio of suicide deaths each year, heart disease and stress related illnesses, three times more likely to become drug and alcohol dependent, body dysmorphia, uh, pornography use, emotional fragility. Men have a lot of issues that we don't acknowledge. And a lot of it is tied to our emotions and not talking about them. I mean, you talk about suppression. Where do you think that stress and strain comes from in heart-related issues, right? Exactly. Like, it's literally, we are literally suppressing it, right? And we keep it in our bodies. I mean, um, sometimes, you know, and you know in your trauma work, when people talk about trauma, sometimes they even have, and this is an example of it, sometimes they even have a bodily pain. When they start saying their trauma, they say, my neck's starting to hurt or my back is starting to hurt. And like, that's an extreme example of what we do every day as men, which is I internalize it. I hold it in my body. And can you talk about your back pain? Right. Why is your back hurting when you try to talk about this, this issue? Right. That's, I mean, we do that all the time. Yeah. I'll bitch about my hip hurting, my back hurting. But am I going to bitch about like my heart hurting? Mm -hmm. Like me missing something important in my life? Yeah. I mean, I might, no. but the. You might, be, but you did go through a psychology graduate program that's your PhD. Well, <laughs> and even that, right? I tell people, I suck at this too, right? I'm still working on this. I did not go to therapy despite being a psychologist going through this whole program right i did not go to therapy until about a year and a half almost two years into my highly contentious divorce mm. but there's there's also and i would i would say that for people listening, there's times to process and there's time of just to cope. Right. And if you're in the middle of something, like if you're in the middle of, I think I've given this example on an earlier episode, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like if you're in the middle of, you're in a household and you're a kid and you're being abused, it's, it's, and it's ongoing and you have to go home to that every night. That's not, it's not useful to go through, let's heal from this because the, the trauma is still happening. It's only until you get out it's only until you're ready, right? Until you establish safety, right? So, I mean, okay, so it took you two and a half years into the divorce. And you, I know personal history of that from what you've told me, but I just know that it was very tumultuous, right? Until there was some stability, right? You were searching for stability for a long time. And I'm glad you went, right? But I'm glad I it was, it was timing too. Like, you know, it's, it, there's a, there's a time to play video games and disconnect and, you know, do things with friends and not think about something. And then there's a time to get in a room with someone and, and really talk about it. And I think most men are not taught that distinction of like, okay, now it's time to talk about it. Right. I mean, it, the Ricky Bobby thing, right? Like, it really is, yeah. What, what do I do with my hands? You know, like, like you're just going to sit here and you're going to tell me, <laughs> you're going to point to what we're feeling, we're going to talk about what that feels like, and then we're just going to sit with it. And you would see the uncomfortability. And I mean, I, again, psychologist, went through this program, I'm licensed, you know, everything. The first session, 
with Tom, my therapist. Thank God for Tom, but great dude. He works primarily with men here in San Diego. First session with him. I honestly don't even remember what question he asked me, but it was something about like my relationship with my father and stepfather as it related uh -huh. to my relationship with my son. Instant tears. And not even just like, oh, the, you know, the stereotypical like single man with tear, but I'm going to grit through it and not. Oh, it was just full on fucking crying. And he looked at me, he's like, how long have you yeah. been holding this shit inside? And then from there, we were able to move forward. But it's, I mean, I, I put it in the notes. I've talked to you about it offline. Like, obviously, not being super public with my divorce, especially when I was overseas, you know, very small command, trying to maintain some sense of privacy with that. But not. Once it was a little more public, you know, once she had moved um, out and moved like back to the States. And I mean, it was a lot more obvious at that point and, you know, things were being posted online. So it was the amount of people who were not family who reached out to just like, hey, man, how you doing? I could count on one hand. It's small. And you don't get that. And especially knowing like how many people I am connected with, you know, how, how many people that are in our profession that yes. understand the importance of it, you know, like I, and don't do it. I give my two best friends from college, right? Mike and Andy. I love those two guys to death relationship literally founded on video game. And it's <laughs> golden. eye. no, no, it was halo and, uh, oh, halo Smash yeah. brothers. Oh, of course. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, I got your time period. Yeah. Yeah. The playing in the dorms. That is how we met. And that is what strengthened, right? Our, our entire relationship was founded on movie quotes and video games. Mike, and that's how you relate to one another. Yeah. yeah. Mike is a mechanical engineer. The dude literally builds shit that goes into space. He's, he is a rocket scientist, right? He's also not the greatest when it comes to like, connecting talking emotion look sorry mike if you're listening uh i mean you know we hate to stereotype but uh it sounds like it's true in this case <laughs> oh i and i i love him to death right the the other best friend in our little tripod andy he is a phenomenal lawyer has started his own firm the dude is so successful so good at what he does so good in the courtroom right but admittedly like self-admitting is not the greatest at like reaching out or you know responding or anything those two dudes connected right you connected with me mm -hmm. outside of that i maybe maybe had one or two people reach out and instead what i got the vast majority I would see people in town or I'd be on base talking to somebody or just what, you know, around in our relatively small community overseas. And I'd get the, Hey, I haven't seen, you know, ex-wife uh, or your son in a while. Like what's going on with them? I'm like, Oh, well they, they moved back to the States. You know, we're undergoing a, a separation and a divorce. I would say 90% of the time, not even fudging that number, 
90% of the time, I got, what did you do? What do you mean? What did you do? Like, like, what does that even mean? You know, well, she, like she left, she's leaving. So what did you do? Oh, blaming, like yeah. a blame thing. Like, like, oh, you did something that versus like, hey, I need to be curious about my friend and see how he's doing. Right. And these are, you know, I worked in a hospital. These are healthcare professionals. I would expect some fucking empathy. And yet yeah. 90% of the time it was like, oh man, that sucks. What did you do? Oh, I hate that. That's my worst. That, that's one of the things that I like if, if I'm talking to somebody that, man, that sucks, dude. I'm like, no, you, you know what sucks is when I get my order wrong at, you know, like McDonald's or something, they give me the wrong order. Okay. That sucks. If I'm trying to describe to you a really difficult emotional uh, point in my life, that's the response of, oh man, that sucks. I think some people don't know what to say and that's fine. And and if people are listening, what I would, my recommendation would be is just to say, say to that person, if they're telling you an emotion, you know, Hey man, I, I really don't know what to say here, but how can I support you? What do you need from me? Literally right? be real. Just yeah, be honest. I don't know what to say. Like I've said that in therapy before of you. Yeah, of course. Like, I don't know what, because there's sometimes people describe such intense, painful moments that there is no thing to say to them. They've heard it all. Yeah. Right. By the time they get to you, they've heard it all. Oh, that sucks. Or, oh, what's going on? Like, how can, you know, how could they do that? Or all this kind of thing of like, okay, like, it's supportive to a degree, but when it's that difficult, they just need someone that's honest with them and real. And it's like, okay, I really, what you just told me, I really want to help and support you. How can I do that? What do you need from me? I'll, whatever you need, I'll be here. Right. If you just need me to listen or whatever, but you know, I think most people go like, they feel like they have to say something supportive and they go, Oh, that sucks. Or in this case, like with your example, it's they, and that's a, that's a very, you know, to your point, of, you know, when I had, when we have our new little one, um, you know, she's two months old. Do you know how many men reached out to congratulate me and ask me how I'm doing? Do you know how many? Three. Very little. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You know how many men have checked in with me besides you? I could count uh, two fingers. Wow. I mean, but, the, and, and do you know how many women have reached out to my wife and been like, how are you doing? How's breastfeeding? Are well, you sleeping? Okay. What, you know, like what's going on? And then women will come up to me and ask me, right. They'll, they'll, they'll ask me, how are you doing as a dad? But it won't be men asking me. Right. And sometimes I'll even have to tell other men like, Hey, like, like I'll be the one having to reach out when I'm the one struggling with like, I haven't slept in like, you know, two days ago she was just up all night and it's like, I'm running on like two and a half hours of sleep and I just had a full day of work and I'm asking you how you're doing. Like, fuck man. Like, can you just ask me? Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, to, to your point of like, what did you do? Is that a, is that a stereotype that, I mean, is it wrapped up in that men do things that they fuck up? Is it a men don't know what to say to other men when they need support? So they go, they, they put their foot in their mouth. Like, where does that reaction come from? Oh, that sucks. Or what did you do? Or it, just, it or not reaching out at all. Like I, you made some notes about this, but like, 
like the more nervous they get, then they don't reach out. And like, yeah, sorry, well, go ahead. I'm rambling. Yeah. I reach out now, then, you know, then he's, he's going to realize that I've reached out in like the two months since his daughter was born yeah. and he's going to know I'm a bad friend, but if I don't do it, then he like, won't know. And I'm like, just fucking reach out. I know. Like to this day with everything that's going on with custody and personal, you know, if yeah. someone reaches out and just says like, Hey man, thinking about you or, Hey, how's all the court stuff going? You know? Or even, like, hey, like, let's grab a beer and just, like, catch up. I want to hear this shit. I am going to feel immense relief at that. I mean, it's there's just this weird block of, like, a dude checking in with another dude is somehow not okay. And I don't understand that at all because it's insane. Like, a, we need to count on each other. Shit, isn't that essentially evolutionary psychology like isn't that how society yes. was based if i didn't that's how society trust, sustains <laughs> if i didn't trust you to not only like be with me but to help me you know even going all over like protect the fucking cave protect the flock like protect my children or my wife if like i'm out and you're not like if we go all the way back to the beginning of man like mankind not man you know but yeah it, yeah, yeah. Gender neutral there. Yeah, gen yeah. Mankind, whatever the humanity. We'll go with that. Humanity. There we go. Humanity. If yeah. I didn't trust you for my literal life and limb safety, we fell apart. And somewhere along the line, we lost that to where now I get worked up and I get afraid to text you and literally just check in on the text, not even face to face, but just a text of like, hey, man. How you doing? You know, it's it's been two months. I'm sure it's a struggle. Here, here's here's one for you. How many men do you know have said I love you to you, or you have said I love you to them? Not counting family. Yeah, I I, I kind of do that caveat, but then, you know, my father figure was my grandfather who served in the Korean War and didn't didn't say anything literally majority of his life. So. Um, but yes, not counting family, not counting family and not counting drunken, like over indulgence, over confession level. But like I am yeah. sober and I am expressing my genuine love for you as another. Yes. Person. Yeah. Four. Four. When, when, and when, I'm, you don't I'm have to go 34 years old and four, four men. In my I entire told life. you. <laughs> and that's it, it. What the hell are we doing? What are I, we doing? I don't get it at all. And you look at, you know, it's funny. You look at Navy SEALs as everybody's go-to, right? Because, I mean, yeah. fuck me. It's pretty obvious. Like, they're awesome. They do their shit. They do it well. The ones that I know, Right. The ones that I am personally acquainted with, not even like professionally as a therapist, but just personally have been friends with. They were blunt. They were open. Right. One of the four guys who has told me that he loves me is an EOD tech. Right. Explosive ordnance disposal, like realistically stressful, deadly, kind of fucked up. Right. But he was unabashed about just you know 
every single time we hung out, every time we were getting ready to leave, like, all right, hey, love you, man. Like, this was good. I'll see you soon. That's, that's what I want to look at right there. If we had ever have time and money to do this, I want to research the level of emotional expression in military based off of level of training and intensity. Like, because you think if you're Navy SEALs and you're basically a brotherhood, would there be a higher expression of, you know, a bluntness with that of like, you know, I, you know, I love you. Thank you for being here. I'm going to be here for you versus like you have these like middle, like they're still working towards it. But like something about the extreme pressure of a situation, I would love to study that. Does that, does that bring out an acceptance of emotional expression in men? And I, um, I mean, I would expect it, especially because in that community, you know, we are fighting as a small team. You know, occasionally we do a larger yeah. scale, but say we got like a six man team. I need to trust every single man on that team to like fulfill the mission capability above and beyond and to have my best interest at heart in addition to his own. And it's, you know, there's, there is love in combat, right? It's World War II. Or it's, it's, it's acceptable. It becomes yeah. acceptable when you're in dire straits. Yeah. I mean, you, World War II, like you look at battle, like Bastogne, right? These guys are sharing these foxholes in the dead of winter in Belgium with limited food, limited supplies, limited clothing, whatever. And it's, if you don't love your buddy that's in the foxhole next to you after that experience where you're literally dealing out death or facing death on a daily basis, I, I mean, you're the expert on that, but maybe then you're a psychopath, right? But like, <laughs> if I am going through this life-changing, truly our life is on the line experience with you, odds are pretty good that at the end of that, I love you in some way. And paradoxically to that is, I think men hold this belief more than women. I have no evidence for this, but I just... in in my observation of men, which is unless you've been through it with me, I'm not opening up to you. Like if, if it's an addict or if it's someone that has been through war or if it, like the, there's this idea of like, how could you understand? And therefore, and I often think that's a defensive thing, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm not letting anybody into that circle where I feel, you know, letting someone new in makes me feel threatened. But you know, you have this like paradoxical thing of like the people within that circle, they love and they express that love. But then outside of that, it's like, what are you talking? Who are you? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not upset. I'm not angry. I don't feel anything. <laughs> you look at world war two, right. As compared to now, sure. We had a way different understanding of like post-traumatic stress and all that back then. But world war two, you got when you were done, right. With your, tour when the war was over whatever you got on a big ass ship with all the other dudes that had been through that same shit with you in your unit had fought from day one to the end and you putzed your happy ass all the way back to the states over i don't know three weeks a month however long it took right versus now where i i mean i've had patients that i've talked to i've had people that i've you know heard talk i can be literally getting shot at mm -hmm. and then step on a plane 
and less than 24 hours later be standing on American soil, like in a fucking grocery store. And, you know, this I is can't getting, wrap my head around that. This is getting way deep into the weeds of like post-traumatic stress and that, but you look at, okay, what did that opportunity afford those guys back in the day? Sure. They're stuck on a ship. It's probably fucking horrible conditions, you know, sleeping in the same bed as somebody like whatever, but you had weeks to process, to talk to people that you knew you trusted with your life and you could just work through some shit. Yeah. Versus now where cool. We're all getting on this plane. We're flying back. And then we are like scattering to the wind. Just we're going on leave. I'm going to go to fucking Vegas. You're going to go shack up with your girl. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out clubbing, like just gone. And I, a, I can't, there's no ability. I mean, it's harder. There's, there's not the built in impact of it. Well, and you know, this, this, this goes into the weeds of VA benefits and health and mental health, right? Of like, what is the post? We're monetizing sickness. Yes. And, and how the, there is such little, I mean, yes, there's post care, but it's not in the way that is designed to optimize alleviating PTSD or just in general expressing and processing emotions. Right. I mean, you know, not, not going into VA stuff right now, but yeah, you know. that's the whole other beast in the government. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to an email about 15 minutes after this podcast. What the hell did you just say about us? No, I'm just kidding. Well, and it's, you know, you had pre pre-recording there brought up Jocko Willink. Yeah. Uh, former Navy SEAL. I mean, I, I, some shit of his popped up on my Instagram. Today. I don't even follow him. Right. But just based off of the stuff that I do follow or the things that I enjoy, he pops up and I, I honestly, truly greatly appreciate his viewpoint, which is fuck motivation, you know, fuck your feelings, discipline and doing is ultimately what kind of gets shit done. You can have feelings, but just don't let them impact the mission at hand right, when it comes to the military. And I appreciate that for what it is, right? Especially in terms of in a combat situation, I right. cannot let my feelings overtake, right? If I become angry, then I might become reckless and get myself or more people hurt. If I become sad because I just watched my buddy get shot, I'm going to then potentially be in a, like, unable to perform. So discipline, right? And even the discipline to show up every day and do the same training, you know, might be something you've done a thousand times, but doing it anyway, because it makes you that 1% better. And it's, you know, it's a question I've asked all my patients on their, their values, their why, but you know, like you break down discipline, literally the root word disciple, like what am I choosing to be a disciple of? And in my case right now, it's, unfucking people's brains yeah so that they can overcome whatever this bullshit cultural barrier we put up and just be real I mean, and there's like a, there's like a a switch there that like they can't cross over that bridge like it's like a they they stay in that my emotions are crippling the mission even after i mean this is classic trauma even after i've gotten home my emotions still cripple the mission 
And, and really what you find is, is no, now your lack of emotions are crippling your mission, which is your mission now is I have to have a good relationship with my wife and my kids. I got to be, be able to function at my job, but I'm feeling things and I don't want to feel things. And, you know, for people listening out there, why do those emotions come out when you get home is because now you're actually safe. And so your brain goes, oh, you've reached a sense of safety. Now we can open Pandora's box and you can start feeling all this stuff. And it's now actually advantageous for you to feel stuff. But before that, you know. But we've got this cultural thing right yep. now, which, you know, I love Jocko Willink and I'm going to support the things he does. I don't know about you. I fucking hate Joe Rogan. Oh, man. And the the, the bro thing. The pseudo the, stoicism. Yeah like bro bullshit that has inundated society, this alpha male crap, like whatever, you know, it's that I think has furthered this problem because it's, you know, Oh, real man, like doesn't show, doesn't feel like fuck that. Yeah. And th there's a push. I think, you know, if you talk about the cultural shift, there's a push from, and how do I say this without getting political? <laughs> that is impossible I... in this day and age. Yeah, it is. Um, there's a push of like an anti. There's an there's an there's an assumption that when women are pushing feminism, that men, that it's it's a criticism against like it's taken personally, like not as a general kind of thing, but like, oh, you're criticizing me as a man, and there's a response to that, and some men respond with, well, you know, I'm not, I want to be more masculine, right? I want to be you're not taking that away from me. Like alpha male is still useful. Like, and it's like, no, we're trying to move to a place where you can have a new idea of what is masculine. You can still be masculine. Feminism and egalitarianism isn't taking that away. Um, liberal liberalism isn't taking that away, even though some men believe that. And I know Joe Rogan, who says that he, you know, would vote for Bernie Sanders has often times in his podcast talking about conservative viewpoints, which he's agrees with. So, and I'm not, you know, I'm saying this because it comes more from conservative men of like, Oh, if you're pushing this like idea that I have to be less of a man either by working less or having my wife be the breadwinner or you know, like sharing equal responsibility and helping out more with kids or like talking about emotions. I, I, I'm, I'm, we gotta be men. We gotta be men. We're giving up something here. We're becoming weak if we're doing that. And it's like, no, actually like egalitarianism is actually good. If you can define a new version of what is masculine, like if you can also be a masculine man in the sense of like brave, disciplined, and also be emotionally expressive. You're the best of both worlds. You're not, you're not giving one up for the other. You can actually be both. And you know what happens? Women like that more than even just being a masculine alpha quote unquote, previously alpha man. If you're able to actually sit and talk with them or listen, and you can actually empathize with what they're going through, you know, and you probably know this, right? When you actually give active listening responses to your, to your wife, right? Like it's like, oh, like that they feel more connected to you. That's what you want. And right? Like you can ask my wife. I love her to death. And she will, you know, I, I spent a day earlier this or last week 
chopping down, like chainsawing this tree and pole sawing it. And I built a fence for our new house. And I'm, you know, I'm shirtless. I'm out there digging, whatever. And she's standing yeah. at the window watching me. And she's, you can see, you know, she's doing the like, okay, I really appreciate this stereotypically masculine thing that you were doing. She has said, like, more or less, fuck, that's sexy. Yeah. And at the same time, we, you know, there's a, a like card prompt connection game that we do every once in a while. We talk through emotional difficulties. We check in with each other. And, you know, I, we have these deep, difficult discussions when some shit goes maybe wrong or, you know, isn't one of us is feeling a negative emotion. And then at the end of it, it's kind of that like, oh, wow, like I love you even more for sticking through this with me and for being vulnerable and talking through this shit. And like, we can have both. I mean, I'm not, I am not a stereotypically masculine man. Some of my hobby, you know, I, I woodwork, I love hiking, I love fishing, you know, I love to do shit outdoors. Mm -hmm. I love to create, but I'm a psychologist. Yeah. And, you know, I, my, my four year old, my nine year old, I'm trying to train them on like engagement with feelings. And it's so I'm, it, there's this blend and you know, it works for me and my wife. And if it works for her, then I'm fucking happy. Well, yeah. <laughs> but it's, and, and you know, we need to get irony. back in touch with it. You can have both. Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. And the irony of this, like, like what you mentioned, the, the Joe Rogan bro, Jocko Willing, like being a man, like the idea of, bringing back the alpha male you know what the irony of this for men that are so on solution focused ideas is it never worked right there's a reason we have 3.5 times the suicide rate there's a reason we have all increased heart related issues there's a reason that marriages in the 60s and 70s and 80s kind of sucked right like that men and women were not happy and if you want to be an alpha male there's consequences to that in the sense of like, you're not going to be connecting with your spouse. You're, you're going to be dealing with things in unhealthy ways because you don't feel like you're allowed to feel. Let alone your, I mean, your kids, right? Like, yes. And you want to disconnect with your kids. Want your kids to never talk to you again once they move out. Cause realistically the alpha male bro bullshit thing. Yeah. Your kids are probably never going to want to talk to you again. That's what happens. I mean, that is literally how many, I mean, you know, you, you work in the field of military, but how many young adults come into my office, not wanting to have a relationship with their dads, right? Not wanting to have a relationship with their parents in general, but oftentimes with men, it's like, I can't connect to my dad. He doesn't. I don't feel anything because we haven't fostered that type of connection. And like, you can still be alpha in the sense of, like you said, woodworking shirtless. Yeah. And building things and repairing things and like solving problems. Right. And I think the idea of what an alpha male is, is you solve problems. You, you get things done and you do it without complaining. Right. That's the alpha male. But you can also, you know, express and communicate and process, which will bring your family and you closer together. Well, and this 
I mean, timing of this is great. I don't follow UFC anymore. I did when I was in college because one of the main guys, Chuck Liddell, was from our area in our college. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Patty Pimblett. The dude has a bowl haircut. He looks goofy as fuck, but he's a 19 and 3 UFC fighter in you know the official UFC league. He's fucking awesome. He's good at what he does. Like you watch him fight, it's okay. Yeah, that's that. That is meeting all these stereotypical definitions of a man. And just within the last week, after winning a fight, he uses his time in the ring to make an announcement and say, I just lost one of my buddies, you know, not like a best friend, but a dude that I know and I know his name and, you know, we've connected. Like I lost one of these buddies to suicide. And mm-hmm. I forget what was his exact phrase, something that, you know, basically like there's a stigma in this world that men can't talk. Listen, if you're a man and you've got a weight on your shoulders and you think the only way you can solve it is by killing yourself, Please speak to someone. Speak to anyone. Yeah. And the internet has fucking blown up in a positive, amazing way on this. Oh, good, good, good. I mean, million comments have reached 15 million people. He's getting all these messages about like, I didn't kill myself because of what you said. Like, I'm getting help now. I'm like, thank fucking God. God. Yeah. yeah. Finally, it takes a dude submitting another you know choking another dude out on live television in front of millions of people and saying i've got your back please just fucking talk literally speak to someone speak to anyone which is exactly what we're talking about here like just unfuck that barrier just ask hey man can we catch up or hey man can you come over and you know help me out whatever right it's this seemingly Everest task. Yeah. When in reality, it's a little molehill that I just have to shoot the text and done. Right. That's the start. And the behaviorist speaking of, we're going to crawl, then walk, then run. Like, but if if the start, the crawling is just telling somebody else, I'm having a hard time. And like you said, people don't know how to respond. Right. You know, when I was in my hey, command and I'm going through my struggle, and someone's like, "Hey, you know, Doc, how you doing?" I'm like, "Well, I'm." fucking an emotional black hole and you know i part of my soul is missing because i don't have my son with me they're just going to stand there and just uh yeah all right cool see you later big gulps yeah all right yeah but even just being able to reach out right and then maybe that person can't help but maybe they can then get you in touch with somebody who can right finding some way to just say what's on your fucking mind. I mean, I put it in the notes, like we are great at not talking about the things that are important. Like yeah, sex is important to talk about, especially within your relationship, right? Finances are super important to talk about. Like two of the top things that people fight about in couples therapy, sex and finances. And I am, you know, we are great at talking about, fucking right talking about conquests and talking oh yeah you know i I was on tinder and i got this chick and you know we're we're super good at that but we're not good at having a deep vulnerable connection where i open myself up and talk about sex 
or we can brag about how much money we make or this thing that we bought or you know this fucking car I drive. But we don't talk about your financial well-being. Mm-hmm. And you look at this the state of the world that we're in. I mean, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're in this persistent state of deprivation. We've got a recession. We've got COVID. Fuck, we're two and a half years into COVID here. And it's yeah, yeah, yeah. resurging again. Granted, much less deadly, but resurging. A great national divide. You talk about the political, you know, I can't get political, but it's every fucking thing political. You can't say anything. No, it's, yeah. I don't care what you say. You're pissing somebody off and somebody's getting yeah. offended. And, you know, you've got global war, fucking Ukraine and Russia. That is awful. You've got a looming climate crisis that is seemingly around the world. And it's just got, we're all just expected to just like, all right, well, I'm just going to go to work. I could do my thing and like, buy this next thing that's going to make me happy. I'm like, do does anybody actually just talk through this? I, no, I, they don't. None of my friends have talked about, and you know, we've had maybe a, over a beer, you know, some bullshitting, but like getting deep is not something we're good at. Not something we do. Men, men like to have like either activities or like things on hand in order to process. And what I mean by that is a cigar and cards, you know, like a a whiskey, but you know, like women can sit across from each other and not have any kind of thing to hold on to. And they can just talk, but men, we need a game. We need to throw axes. Let's go ax throwing or let's go to a bar and, and have a drink um, or let's play cards and then that becomes the, or video games. And then that becomes like the, it doesn't make it permissible yet, but once someone says something or if you get them drunk enough, right, then, then things come out, but it's never, a. am calling you up because I'm worried about you. you know, I want to know how you're doing. Right. And I'm sitting down across from you and we're not having any, we're not drinking, we're not playing cards, we're not doing anything. I'm just asking you how you're doing. I think sometimes that's why it's so hard for men to come into a therapy office because they probably have never had just someone sit across from them and look at them and go, okay, what's going on? Especially in your case, you know? another man. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. That, that really upset. That really is like awkward for people. Um, having another man ask them a question is that's like emotionally focused. It unsettles them. Can you, can you still talk? You got, can you got time? Oh, I'm good. Yeah. I mean, I got got about another 15 minutes. Yeah. It's ridiculous that like some of the best, deepest, like most heartfelt discussions I've had with other guys were, you know, on a uh, six day, like 70 mile backpacking trip day four, day five, you know, and you're just beat, you're exhausted, but you've spent five nights and days on the trail with this person and then some real shit starts coming out. Mm. And wait, you hiked seventy miles in six days. You shut up right now. With like a fifty pound pack. I don't think I've hiked seventy miles in my life. Fourteen thousand foot elevation. If you if you added all the hikes I've ever taken, maybe from like ten year ten on to thirty three, I don't think it adds up to seventy. <laughs> I mean anyways, yes. It works for me, right? But it was it, for me, that was a mental release, right? That was a disconnect 
with one of my best friends and an opportunity for both of us to get real with each other about, you know, he was about to get married. I was about to start my active duty time with the Navy. I mean, both of our lives are about to significantly change. And so that was just this awesome golden opportunity that we've never done again. We talk about it every single year, like, oh, we got to do this. We got to do this again. Fucking life gets in the way, right? Yeah, try it with a four-year-old. Yeah, not happening right now. I am. I had enough problems carrying the 50 pounds of the pack and the food and everything. I can't carry 50 pounds yeah. plus another like 40 of my four-year-old. That's not going to happen. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's just one of those things like we need, uh, and I, I put the quote on here, good men are bound by conscience and liberated by accountability. Right? Wes Fessler, old uh, athletic coach, football coach, football player. Like, we need accountability. Right. And that's what this all boils down to is we can talk about it all fucking day. And there's tons of research coming out from the UK and from Australia, not so much the US, but UK and Australia saying men need to do this. Men need to do this. Men need to do this. We're facing this loneliness epidemic. We're facing this men's mental health crisis. And yet we have no accountability. And that's what it boils down to. I mean, I've even like, I have physically put a alarm in my phone to remind myself to check in with someone on a weekly basis. Oh, I do the same thing. Because it's the only way that I'm going to remember, right? Previous yeah. episode about the stressed out brain and forgetfulness. Oh, yeah. Oh, Marissa. Yeah. <laughs> she was great. She's in, she's fantastic. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's that's what it's going to take. It's going to take accountability. We have to be better at this. And it's, even if it's just one person, right? We have talked offline about dads checking in with dads, right? And so that's now the like, all right, when I see, well, not Dr. Moffat pop up on my phone, but when I see Matt pop up on my phone, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all right, that's going to be a reminder. Hey, Matt, like when was, scroll back through, when was the last time I asked him? It's like, how are you doing? Like, what's, you know, how's the stress level, yeah. right? But just keeping it simple. If that's what it takes, yeah. right? And uh, you know, getting past all the bullshit, right? Getting past the barriers, moving away from societal shit. I mean, we talked earlier about like moms checking in with you. Have you ever had someone tell you or make a comment about you babysitting your kids? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I used to I go. I have to watch. I have to watch my kid. No, I'm, I'm raising my son. Yeah, I used to go daughter. off on people of just. I'm not babysitting shit. I am raising my son as yeah. his father. Yeah. But that's just, it's so deeply ingrained in there that people say, they don't even know that they're saying, but it's, do you know, do you know how many, do you know how many um, mom boards there are for oh women? Gosh. And do you know how many there are for dads? There's nothing. I see dads posting on the mom boards to get dads that are either stay at home or dads that just, are trying to figure out a problem and they're like, Hey, my little one is doing this. What do I do? Blah, 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 blah. You, the dads have to go on the mom boards to get advice or to talk about a problem that they're having with their kids. I mean, that's a problem. Why, you know, like we don't have any dad groups. Dads don't check in with one another. I can't remember the last time. If I look through my phone right now, I can't remember the last time besides you, a dad asked me, you know, Hey, like what's going on? Like, how, how are you doing? 
I mean, I'd say two months, mm. you know, like, like something like that, like, at, you know, two months after my daughter was born. So they say, congratulations, how are you doing as like a kind of like softball, like, oh, I'm supposed to ask this. But then, you know, following that, it's like, okay, you know how it is to raise kids. You know how it is to raise a young one. Um, and you know how awful it is those first three months, right, until they get really settled into a routine. I'm getting nothing. You know, like, it's well, it's, it's a dry, it's a desert. And it's a desert. Yeah, especially if your wife is breastfeeding and not pumping yeah. at all or anything. You know, you the amount of uselessness that you at yes. times, you're like, I am good at swaddling and I diaper the fuck out of this kid. But when it's time to feed, well, all right, fuck me. My role's done. Like, and it's, it's, I think it's too easy to get wrapped up in that. And then just as time mm-hmm. goes on, continue to disconnect. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think, you know, you, especially with my, the, my daughter, she likes to breastfeed. Magnus did not like to breastfeed. He liked the bottle. And so I felt a little bit more useful. I could make a bottle for him and feed him. But, you know, in the middle of the night where she's woken up three or four times and every time, you know, she wants mom and, you know, mom's exhausted and she's looking at me like, you son of a bitch, you get to go back to sleep, you know, like, and I'm like, well, I'm trying as best I can here, you know, like, but the point of that is, is like, I think there's a general understanding that men and dads are accessories to a family and not integral to a family. Um, I think that's changing, but slowly, slowly, very slowly. Right. The fact that I have to see dads on mom board still asking like, Hey, I'm home with my son. I don't know what to do. Like when I had my, when I had Magnus and I'm sure you, when you had your first kid, like going through, like trying to find answers and trying to get like somebody normalize this for me is like, is what this my child doing normal like i haven't you know i haven't slept in like you know 48 hours like help me you know i have no idea what the fuck i'm doing right now uh, i'm just trying to yeah. get alive and keep myself alive yeah 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 and there's no support there's no support um uh, for all those listening dude you're gonna be a dad great book yeah. <laughs> yes still does not prepare you but no armed no. you with at least a little bit of knowledge and it, i mean you talk about dad groups, you talk about like I, the amount of, you, you got a Bowie knife in, in a firing squad, but at least you got a Bowie knife, yeah. you know, but you're prepared. ish. I mean, going through custody stuff and the amount of mm-hmm. stuff, the amount of posts about a mom trying to get more custody. Yes. Astronomical. The amount of information available for men. I mean, I've put together like, a 30 page summary, a literature review of the last decade of research about the importance of fathers. And again, a lot of good stuff coming out, but it's, I mean, some of the stuff that I would send my lawyer or, you know, send to some other friends who were going through a similar situation, like, oh man, like I haven't even heard of some of this stuff. What? And it's, you know, like my lawyer, you know, you got people that are asking like, oh, can I share this with someone else? I'm like, Please go for it. like if it helps somebody else. Again, somebody who's hopefully not abusing their child, you know, abusing the, yeah, the ex-wife. But they're a good dad. Yeah. If you are a good dad, yeah, like being able to say like, no, here's like here's the research that says 
my presence is important in raising this child. But a lot of it, you know, it's this, oh, I've never heard of that. Or, you know, oh, this research that we're citing is 40 years old. Well, that's cool. Uh, I wasn't fucking born then. And strangely enough, a lot of shit changed in 40 years. Like, I've been told by a couple of people, like, I need to, if I get out of the Navy or even on the side, I need to become a mental health advocate. I love that. There is a dude who had had a podcast. I don't know if he has stuff still coming out, but he's, he's a life coach. So I'm already a little turned off right there, but you know, he, he markets himself as the mental health, you know, as a, as a dad, but it has blown my mind. The amount of people who I have met in the military, not in the military who, you know, or the amount of people I've been connected to where somebody through, you know, overcoming that little barrier was like, Hey, do you mind if I send this other dude, your phone number or your email or whatever, you know, he's going through something very similar to what you've been through. And I think he could, you know, use just your your experience, your wisdom, your guidance on it. But, you know, for me, this has been a three year, three and a half year process. And that's probably happened about four times. When you, you, once again, it to flip back to your original point of loneliness you're doing that alone right you, whether you're overseas and you, you've just been deployed or you're going through a custody battle or you're a new dad the overarching feeling for men is loneliness like you, you feel like there's no support right? and but you don't feel like you can say you need support your your thoughts on that right are so wrong but that fear is super fucking real. Yeah. The thoughts are completely irrational and based off of this fear, right? Which fear-based thoughts, yeah, probably not the greatest. Your amygdala is yeah. great at keeping you alive, but your amygdala is not really good at actually differentiating between this thing will kill me and I might get rejected. Yeah. You know, instead why of- your, Why is your amygdala responding to, you know, you're talking to a girl? Unless she has a knife pointed at you, you're you're okay. Or reaching out to another dad or another guy to say, hey, man, like, I'm really struggling right now. Like, my kid's teething. I'm losing sleep. I'm losing my shit. You know, why is my brain computing that that is the same level of, level of danger as if I'm out on a hike and I'm around a corner and there's a mountain lion staring at me? Yeah. Like, cool. My amygdala needs to do its fucking thing with the mountain lion. But my amygdala has no no fighting like stance in my social connectivity it's designed evolutionarily makes sense right because if i do something wrong socially then i'm potentially outcast from the group again going back thousands of years yes that would then mean that i probably would die right as a loner outside of the the tribe or the group but Mm -hmm. nowadays that connectivity is still vitally important but it's not necessarily life or death and yeah. I mean, that's, again, going, circling all the way back to the beginning, just being real with people and just like, yeah, your brain's a fucking asshole. <laughs> hey, the, there yeah. it is. Like, there it, it is. it's designed that way for a reason, right? Your brain is designed to keep you alive. But day to day, right now, you're probably not in mortal danger. So we need to start challenging, right? 
your amygdala <laughs> is phenomenal at detecting danger. The problem is it is a smoke detector and it detects that you, you know, burn some bacon and it's responding yeah. like you're burning down. Oh, that's a great, yeah. And so that's a great metaphor. being able to engage the frontal cortex, right? Put a leash on the amygdala, be, be there, be ready to unhook the, unhook the beast and let it run if you need to. But like, you've got a leash on it and it's contained, right? That needs to be normalized. It's, everybody has it, right? And it's just, again, normalize this shit, right? Normalize two fucking dudes talking about difficult things. Yeah. Normalize reaching out for help. Normalize admitting that you're not fucking okay, right? And that maybe you could use somebody to talk to. Even if it's over a beer, video games, whatever. It's a start. Yeah. And just recognize everybody's brain fucking sucks in some way, man. Like, <laughs> mine has a persistent little asshole that repeatedly tells me all kinds of shit. No. And it's up to me to challenge it. Right? If, yeah. if I'm hanging out with you 24 7 and I'm just standing right next to you, like, fuck you, Matt. You suck. You're a terrible dad. The <laughs> podcast fucking sucks. You are a terrible clinician. You're not going to do anything. You should just quit now. At some point, you're going to either punch me, kill me, try to ditch me, like push me away, yeah. or put some noise-canceling headphones on and just fucking ignore me. But when it's my own brain doing it, we're just like, yeah, all right, I guess that's true. I guess that's, yeah. You know, I, that's so therapeutic, I think, when you when you say that, of like, I do this with patients all the time of like imagine saying this to somebody what you're saying to yourself I never, does that seem like it's okay yeah does that seem okay and they're like oh my god like i'm like you know what it sounds like it sounds verbally abusive right if you were saying this to a child your cps would be called right like but you say it to yourself and you what do you say to yourself you let yourself do it because mm -hmm. we allow it to be there yeah yeah it's from my head it must be true Oh, it's so good talking to you. Seriously. I, I have, it's been way too long. And I have greatly appreciated this because as I joked earlier, this, this podcast is therapeutic in its own right. <laughs> Both for you, right? Every episode. Yeah. There's, oh yeah. There's some little thing where I'm, I, the light bulb goes off. And I'm like, ah, oh, Matt just got a little nugget of wisdom right there that he's going to apply to his own life. Yeah. And for me, right. Doing this today, we didn't get super deep, right? But we, we didn't, but it was just fucking real. And it was just, hey, yeah. this is what we're seeing. This is what we're experiencing. And this is what we need to fucking do about it. And that's awesome. I don't know about you. I feel good. I feel good. Yeah, I feel great after after this. I feel great after talking. Um, I miss you desperately. I would, I would really like to hang out with you um, and actually see you. And San Diego's not far, but I got to figure out how to transport two children yeah, and probably I, by semi truck. <laughs> we're gonna wait until uh, you do not live in Satan's butthole. Uh, <laughs> so maybe, maybe like October, right when the when the weather's yeah a little more preferable. Then sure, yeah, we can we can pack that. You are always welcome to come stay and hang out. It's beautiful weather when it's not in the summer. I moved away it's from the, the desert to never be in it again. Oh man, we got a lot of rain. Yeah. Thankfully, yeah, like yeah, it's still 105 degrees out. Yeah, I, I can I can see the ocean from my window, so I don't know. Would you stop? What's what's the what's the housing market in San Diego? 
What do I need to actually have a house? Uh, looking for a, I would say a three, two, that is not completely condemnable. You're looking at a, mm-hmm. about anywhere between 900 and 1.1. What? For a three, two, that's probably about 1300 square feet. So is every, everyone in uh, San Diego doing only fans to pay for their, <laughs> to pay for their stuff? I mean, if that's what it takes and you are comfortable in your own ability, more power to you. Right. Take it. I heard there's some guy that makes money on there by just reading erotica. Like he's not even like doing anything. Like I'm like, man, maybe maybe hey, I've gotten I've gotten this gig all wrong. Psychology's not it, but OnlyFans and yeah, no, you just need to find that. that that voice, right? <laughs> the, the the deep, the low, the slow, right? Just find yeah, work on that, yeah. and then market like the your Morgan Freeman voice, yeah. Although I don't know if I could listen to Morgan Freeman Radio Radica. Can Radio Radica? I, I think that might just be too weird. Are we? Are we? Is that the new title of the episode? Is Morgan Freeman reading erotica? Yeah. <laughs> Normalize men just fucking being real with each other. Subsection: Morgan Freeman reading erotica. Oh man, it's so good to see you, Ryan. You too. I will. Uh... You come on again, please. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Pick a, pick a topic. We'll, we'll talk all day. We'll get into it. Okay, man, you take care. You too. Bye-bye. Love you, man. Love you too. <laughs>